Did you know that tattooing was illegal in the state of South Carolina into the year 2004? By 2014, more than 100 tattoo parlors had been opened. And y'all know what I say, let them have ink. Welcome to the Lore of the South. South. Welcome back to Lore of the South with me, Kelly Cruz. Well, spooky season is over and we're headed straight into the holidays. Y'all, I have to admit, I've been craving some Thanksgiving dinner. I made pork chops and stuffing and cranberry sauce the other night just to try to tide me over. Producer Mike makes the best smoked turkey. And I'm making myself hungry, so let's change the subject. Y'all, it's nearly in the middle of November, and I'm writing this in the middle of a tropical storm. Our favorite oldest city is getting hammered by the storm surge. The pictures make me sad, and the flooding is beyond awful, and it's becoming more and more frequent there. Stay safe, everybody. Now, how about some history-making news? This story comes to us from IFL Science. Chemists think they have finally come to the conclusion of what happened to the deserted ship, the Mary Celeste. The Mary Celeste was found on December 5, 1872, abandoned and left adrift by the British ship, De Grazia. Its men boarded the Mary Celeste to find it frozen in time. The crew, the captain, and the captain's family all just had stopped what they were doing and fled in the ship's lifeboat. The captain's quarters still had breakfast set out on the table. The men's belongings were all still in their quarters and nearly 2,000 gallons of industrial strength alcohol was still in its hold. It was a complete mystery and the Mary Celeste was a ghost ship. Now chemists in England have maybe discovered what could have caused the captain to panic and evacuate the ship. Dr. Andrea Sella and her chemistry department built a model of the hold and designed an experiment to show what a contained alcohol explosion would look like. The doctor used paper cubes to represent the barrels and butane for the alcohol fumes. When ignited, it caused a pressure wave explosion. It created a wave of flame that quickly extinguished itself, leaving nothing but cold air behind. No evidence of fire whatsoever, though the blast would have been strong enough to blow open every hatch on the ship, thusly scaring the bejesus out of the captain and his family and crew into abandoning her. The former occupants of the Mary Celeste were never heard from again. It's been a minute since we talked about murder. And y'all hold on to your butts for this one. Welcome to episode 54, Nanny Doss, the Giggling Granny. 
Nanny, or Nancy Hazel, was born November 4, 1905 in Blue Mountain, Alabama, one of five children to poor farmers James and Louisa Hazel. Nanny nor her siblings were allowed to attend school and were made to work the family farm. James was a very controlling man and reigned over the family. He dictated everything from what his daughters wore to making sure that they were never alone with boys or men. In all appearances, Nanny seemed to be completely normal until an accident that occurred while the family traveled by train. The train came to a sudden stop and Nanny cracked her skull on the metal bar on the seat back in front of her. She was only seven and was never the same again. From that day on, she would experience migraines, blackouts, and depression. Nanny herself would later blame this accident on her future tendencies. By the time Nanny was a teen, she was obsessed with reading her mother's romance magazines and in finding her own Prince Charming, so to speak. At the age of 16, she went to work in a textile factory where she met her first husband. The couple only knew each other for a few months before Nanny's father insisted that the pair tie the knot. Nanny married Charles Braggs in 1921. Charlie moved his young bride into the house with his mother. The two did not get along, and Bragg's mother ruled over the couple, especially Nanny, much like Nanny's own father had. The couple had early difficulties, and Nanny developed a drinking problem and a new obsession with the Lonely Hearts columns. And for those of y'all who don't know what those are or never heard of them, it was kind of like, it would have been like an analog version of Tinder. I think um, Craigslist still has them? Like some kind of encounters or something? But yeah, people used to hook up in the newspaper. I don't think hookup's the right word, y'all. They used to find someone to date in the newspapers. Charlie was known to disappear for days at a time, but they still managed to have four daughters in four years, the oldest being called Melvina and the baby Florine. The middle girls weren't named in the articles I read. In 1927, the two middle girls passed away suddenly of suspected food poisoning and Charlie lit out for parts unknown with the oldest daughter, Melvina, leaving the baby and mother-in-law alone with Nanny. Mrs. Braggs, Charlie's mother, didn't survive for very long after that. Braggs returned about a year later with a new woman and her child in tow. He and Nanny divorced soon after, and he forever claimed that the reason he had abandoned Nanny and Florine was because he feared for his and Melvina's lives but apparently not his mother's or the infant daughter's. Nanny moved back home with her mother and worked in a cotton mill to support herself and the two remaining girls. Nanny takes up communication with a man from Jacksonville, Alabama that she met through the Lonely Hearts column. They exchanged sometimes a little bit naughty love letters for a few months before marrying, barely a year after Nanny's first divorce. This marriage to Frank Harrelson was a troubled one from the start. He was a raging alcoholic and an abusive one with a record of criminal assault to boot. But she stuck with him anyway for about 16 years. In the interim, Melvina had two children of her own. 
the second dying soon after its birth in the arms of its grandmother. Melvina told her husband and doctors that she swore she saw her mother stick a long hat pin into the baby's soft spot, but the doctor couldn't find any evidence of it, and the baby's cause of death was listed as unknown. Some time goes by, and Melvina and her husband split up over the grief of their dead baby. Melvina then begins to date a soldier, and Nanny does not approve. Mother and daughter have a huge argument, which makes Melvina decide to go visit her father, leaving her toddler son in care of his grandmother, Nanny. The toddler was found dead on July 5, 1945. Officials said it was from asphyxiation from an unknown cause. Let me just interject this here. I'd guess a pillow over the kid's face is what did it, but you know, I guess I wasn't there. Nanny then proceeded to cash in a $500 insurance policy on the little boy. Later that same year, Harrelson became particularly drunk and rowdy and possibly pretty nastily abusive towards Nanny. Well, he never did that again, and was dead by the morning. Years later, she admitted to putting rat poison in his moonshine. The neighbors all assumed it was caused by, can y'all guess it? A food poisoning. She used the cash from Harrelson's life insurance policy to buy a house and a bit of land in the same town that they had been living in, Jacksonville, Alabama. Next up, husband number three, Arlie Lanning. The pair met through another Lonely Hearts column while Nanny was traveling through Lexington, North Carolina. They married three days later, and like her previous husbands, Arlie was also an alcoholic and a womanizer, though it was Nanny who would disappear for weeks on end this time around. But whenever she showed back up at home, she'd play the doting housewife. Arlie didn't last very long, and the doctors attributed his death to a heart attack brought on by his drinking. Arlie had left he and Nanny's home to his sister and not to Nanny. And the house then mysteriously burned down. And guess who got to collect the homeowner's policy? You got it. Nanny did. Number four. She met through a dating service. She married Richard Morton in 1952. Morton didn't have a drinking problem, but he did run around on Nanny a lot. Around the same time, Nanny's mother fell and broke her hip and needed a caretaker. So Nanny loaded up and went home to Alabama to care for her. And not just for her mother, but one of her sisters as well. But the two didn't last long under Nanny's care. Both were dead in a matter of weeks. Nanny then returned to her husband, and that's when she became aware of all of his extracurricular activities. He was dead by May, 
and Nanny was on her way to marry number five one month later in June of 1953. Number five was a preacher in Oklahoma who had lost his whole family in a tornado. And he didn't get up to the same kind of shenanigans that the first four husbands did. But Samuel Doss was a bit on the controlling side. He took issue with Nanny's love of romance novels and magazines. He was of the opinion that one should only read materials that were either of a holy nature or educational. You can imagine that Nanny did not like being told what to do and certainly not what she should and should not read. Three months after the wedding, in September, Sam Doss was admitted to the hospital with flu-like symptoms. He was released on October 5th, and he was dead on the 12th. Though, this time, the doctors were suspicious of Doss' symptoms, and gained permission to perform an autopsy. Y'all, I'm pretty sure Nanny gave them permission to autopsy the dude she just killed. Well, when his results came back, they showed huge amounts of arsenic in his system. Nanny was quickly arrested, and she promptly confessed to killing four out of five husbands. One source says she did confess to the killings of her grandchildren, mother, and sister. Another source says she never admitted to killing any of her blood relations. But all during her interview, she giggled and laughed and carried on like she was at a garden party and not in the county lockup. She blamed her brain injury for her murderous tendencies, and when asked if she had done it for the insurance money, she just shook her head and told the interviews that she killed them all for love. Whenever she figured out that the new mister wasn't up to snuff, she'd just snuff them out and move on to the next. Officials did exhume the bodies of a couple of her victims, and they too were found to have high levels of arsenic in their systems as well. Though the state of Oklahoma only went after her for the death of Doss, because that's the murder that took place within Oklahoma. Nanny, the giggling granny, was sentenced to life in prison on May 17, 1955. She died in the hospital wing of the Oklahoma State Penitentiary from leukemia on June 2, 1965, at the age of 59. It's thought that she may have killed as many as a dozen people, more than half of which were her own family. Side notes, the media gave Nanny Doss several nicknames, including the Giggling Granny, the Jolly Black Widow, and the Lonely Hearts Killer. It only took about 30 years for all of her murders to finally catch up with her. Now for our oldest buildings by state segment, brought to you by the Discoverer blog, Today's states are California and Colorado. California's oldest building is the Mission of San Juan of Capistrano. It was founded in 1776. 
and is California's oldest surviving building. The first mass in the finished building was celebrated in 1783. The magnificent golden altar is thought to be around 330 years older than the mission and came from Barcelona, but it wasn't installed in the chapel until the early 20th century. Next is Colorado, the Four Mile House. Four Mile House in Denver dates back from 1859. Brothers Johannes and Samuel Brotner built this two-story home out of timber. A year later, they sold it to a businesswoman called Mary Cocker, who ran it as an inn, her eye on the wallets of the travelers passing through on the Cherokee Trail on their way to seek gold in California. Next time, we'll be talking about Connecticut and Delaware. Since we're moving further east, I bet the buildings get older. Listen, y'all, I have to thank y'all so much for stepping in and leaving us a few five-star reviews. They really cheered me up after our last one. And I'm going to read them for y'all right now. This one is from Jude Ranch. Love this show. I really love this podcast. However, I truly would appreciate the background music being lowered. Hard to hear over the music. Thank you. Well, Jude, let me tell you. I screenshot this and I sent it in a text message to producer Mike. And from now on, he's going to be more careful about those levels. And if you ever need to get in contact with us or have any tips or hints or ideas for the show, you can email us at lordthesouth at gmail.com or you can contact me via messenger on social media. Our next five-star review comes from Aunt Clarice. My favorite podcast. Love this podcast. It is so entertaining while also informative my favorite thank you aunt clarice this is from yeti girl love your show takes me back home can't imagine a one-star review haven't read it yet have to wonder if the perp uh the reviewer was just having a bad day dang people if you don't like the content simply move on to another program no need to scorch the earth behind you well amen to that Ah well I'm certain you have more fans than detractors. Keep up the good work. And thank you, Yeti Girl. That was very nice. And I agree 100%. Just keep scrolling. And this last one is from Old Man of History. Love Lore of the South. Lore of the South is one of my favorite podcasts. They do such a wonderful job on the show. And it is fun to listen to. I tune in for every podcast and recommend it to anyone. Thank you, old man of history. So thank y'all so much for those reviews. It, Like I said, it means the world to me because it means that y'all are enjoying what you're hearing and it means a lot. It's a, it's a nice pat on the back. What else? Let's see. Um, I'm working on another t-shirt order with the show's logo on them. Message me if you're interested. Also, is there any other kind of merch that y'all would like to see and be able to order? Let me know. It's almost our two-year anniversary. I can hardly believe it. Other than producer Mike, this has been about the longest thing I've ever stuck with. And y'all know the drill. Follow us on social media. I always post pics to go along with every episode. You can find us on TikTok and YouTube as well. 
and maybe check out the Patreon for bonus content to help support the show. Soon as the holiday season allows us to slow down a bit, I plan on adding a lot more content over on the Patreon. So just keep an eye out for that. Maybe it'll be something you're interested in. And with that, we'll talk to y'all later on Lore of the South.